A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Li Qiuyuan, sitting in for Wang Guan in Beijing. There's been some drama at the 2023 Vilnius NATO summit. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said NATO leaders stopped short of inviting Ukraine to join the alliance at the summit. And on Tuesday, they failed to set a timeline for Ukraine's NATO membership. Stoltenberg said NATO leaders have also approved the most comprehensive defense plan since the end of the Cold War. Simply put, NATO aims to have 300,000 troops fully ready for action. Even more worrying, NATO has accused China of challenging its interests, securities and values. With NATO members divided over Ukraine's membership, what will be President Zelensky's next move? Does NATO's expansion and its response to the conflict in Ukraine pose a threat to global security? Plus, what to make of NATO's allegations on China? Well, first, we have Mr. Victor Gaojikai, chair professor of Suchow University from Warsaw. He is now in Warsaw and just came back from Ukraine. He is joining us on the phone. Such a pleasure to have you with us, Professor. Let me start with this. You are in Warsaw. You are just back from Ukraine where you stayed a few days. How is the situation on the ground? I understand at a point you were forced to take shelter in a bunker. What happened? Thank you very much for having me. Yes, indeed. I'm right now in Warsaw, Poland. I was in Kiev, Ukraine for a total of more than 30 hours. And during that period, I met with the local leaders, I met with other people in Ukraine, and I also was uh, alerted with three air attack alarms. One happened early in the morning at 4.30. I was evacuated to the shelter of the hotel I was staying for a total of about 90 minutes, very long. Then the other one happened immediately after lunch. I was evacuated to the shelter in the basement of the restaurant where we had lunch. And that attack was allegedly by a, a cruise missile. Now, the other uh, alert happened when we were touring a site, ra uh, relatively speaking, at noon, and we were all in the open, and that alert did not last long. So altogether, for 30 hours, three air attack alerts. Now, generally speaking, other than the uh, fire uh, air attack alert period, uh, it was peaceful and people went along with their life in their own way. And uh, you did not see a lot of signs of anxiety, etc. However, I would say the whole situation involving the capital city was still very tense. And there is still a general desire for peace rather than the continuation of war. And I think what happened in Vilnius, which was very close to Kiev when I was there, uh, is that NATO got everything wrong as far as China is concerned. China has been a major force for peace over the past 44 years and a major contributor for global economic development. How could NATO get it wrong to view China as an enemy or as an adversary in terms of uh, strategic issues or values. If they really talk about values, they need to talk about values about peace and development and lifting people out of poverty, building up connectivity as China has been doing. And what I've seen in Europe, for example, 
is really a big room for further investment in infrastructure connectivity, improving of the living standards of the people, rather than wasting all the money on modernize on a militarization because that's the very dangerous thing. So I hope NATO will get it right. They will be a force for peace rather than a force agitating for war. Hmm. They have made some serious allegations against China and you're not far from Lithuania where the NATO summit was held in Vilnius. What is the moot now in Poland? How have local media there reported on this summit? Yes, I'm in Poland and before my trip to Kiev, I was in Poland for three days. My impression is that Poland itself is right now peaceful. And there is no sense of panic. For example, people really uh, go along with their life in their own way, in a peaceful way. The problem is that the Polish government is very much agitated about the war in Ukraine. Poland has done tremendous things in terms of welcoming refugees from uh, Ukraine, not only at the very beginning of the war, when Poland gave refugee to millions of people from mm. Ukraine, but even now there are still lots of refugees. On my way by train to Kiev, as well as back from Kiev to Warsaw, all the passengers on the train were Ukrainians, and mostly women and kids, uh, speaking refugee in Poland or elsewhere in uh, Europe. Mm. So I hope Poland will calm down. Poland will be a force for peace rather than agitating for war or mm. expansion of war or escalation of war. Because I think European countries are really tired of the continuation of the war in Ukraine. They want to eventually see something being done through negotiation and diplomacy and uh, mediation, for example, rather than the continuation of the war. One thing is very clear. The continuation of the war in Ukraine will bring greater sufferings and disasters mm. to the civilians in Ukraine, and it will not achieve the so-called goal of driving Russia out of Ukraine, mm. and any disputes about the territories in Ukraine need to be solved through peaceful negotiations. It is time to enter into real diplomacy and negotiation to end right. the war in Ukraine for right. the benefit of the Ukrainian people as well as all the neighboring countries. It is just very hard for us who are outside of Ukraine to imagine what are people going through under such circumstances. Thank you for bringing us that incredible experiences there in Kiev. Professor Gaojukai joining us there. Do take care. Appreciate it. Let's Thank talk more about this. We're pleased to be joined from Bangkok by Brian Berletic, former U.S. Marine and geopolitical analyst from Vilnius, Lithuania, by Mr. Richard Worley, international correspondent of Blick, a Swiss media. And in our Beijing studio, we have Mr. Einar Tengen, our current affair commentator. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Let me start with you, Einar. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said allies have agreed on a three-part package to bring Ukraine closer to NATO. However, he clarified that an invitation for Ukraine to join the alliance will be issued when allies agree and conditions are met. He stopped short of saying when and how. Ukraine will be invited to join. And Ukrainians are not happy about it. I mean, President Zelensky caught the NATO decision and presidented 
and absurd for not setting a timeline and its vague wording of conditions. Is it procrastination or is Ukraine's membership causing a rift among NATO allies? Well, there's an ongoing conflict, so they can't join uh, currently under the uh, charter of the UN. It would take uh, unanimous uh, consent of all countries within NATO to add them. So uh, it's a little bit of uh, hyperbole for um, him to be saying that it's ridiculous that they have to take us, all this type of thing. I can understand from his point of view, he also said that he feels now that his country is a bargaining chip. Uh, but that's been fairly clear all the way along. Uh, the U.S. has been... Uh, and Europe, to a certain extent, uh, have been supporting this war, but it has no end in sight. Uh, right now, the big offensive that was supposed to happen has kind of fizzled. They have not uh, regained the kind of, uh, had the kind of impact that they wanted. They have made some gains, but not the kind of gains that they were projecting. Mm -hmm. So at this juncture, with the battlefield basically being gridlocked, um, with the situation, uh, concerns about um, escalation. You know, we obviously have this issue about sending cluster bombs, which are single-handedly the most lethal weapon to civilians. Uh, there is uh, causing uh, even further divides. Mm. The war is keeping uh, Ukraine from becoming a member of NATO. I guess the president understands that, but, but President Zelensky wants clear assurances that once the war is over, that his country can get admitted. But even that might not be forthcoming. Uh, Mr. Boletic, how are you looking at this? How will this decision by NATO impact the relationship between NATO and Kyiv? Is it the end of the honeymoon, as Zelensky was described as frustrated? This is a proxy war. The United States is using Ukraine as a proxy against Russia. And the whole point of fighting a proxy war is to do it at someone else's expense. And right now it is Ukraine paying the cost in blood in terms of infrastructure, in terms of its economy now and into the future. And this is abundantly clear to everyone. This is how NATO does business. This is how they've always done business. And I don't know why it would seem as a surprise to anyone in Kiev that that, that is what is happening to Ukraine right now. Of, of course, uh, they're not going to in include Ukraine into NATO because just as your other guest pointed out, that would then drag all of NATO into the war. And they don't want to be in a direct uh, conflict with Russia. They want Ukraine to fight that conflict on their behalf. So no membership for now, but Mr. Worley, is a timeline for Ukraine's membership possible in the foreseeable future? What could be the trigger? What might it look like? Well, what's very clear here in Vilnius is that Ukraine will be a member of NATO. I think it's important to keep this in mind. Secretary General of the Alliance, Jens Stoltenberg, repeated it several times during the press conference. Uh, the horizon for Ukraine is within NATO. Now, now coming to timetable, not at the moment. It's true that it was a frustration for President Zelensky, but you've got to keep in mind that he changed his mood between his arrival and yesterday. When he arrived in Vilnius, he said indeed that it was absurd to keep Ukraine outside of NATO. But then when he met the leaders and when he sat during the, the NATO 
Ukraine Council, his tone had changed. He sanked the, his partner and he sanked the alliance and the G7 for giving him support and, and giving him this long-term support that the country needs. So uh, I believe also there was some kind of political foreplay by the allies who told Mr. Zelensky that he should be more grateful to the allies because they have to face their public opinion. Selling the war in Ukraine or the support to Ukraine is not something easy. So you could see that President Zelensky, we all know that politically is very shrewd. He has adapted to the circumstances here in Vilnius. Yeah, but despite what's been said by uh, the NATO Secretary General, a lot of people, a lot of observers are still skeptic. They doubt this could ever happen. I mean, Ukraine joining NATO. And Mr. Valetic, from a military standpoint, it seems that no one in Europe wants NATO to fight directly against Russia over Ukraine. You mentioned this a little earlier. Is this the reason why President Zelensky was so frustrated in Vilnius? Will NATO really fight to the last Ukrainian, as President Putin mm. famously said last March? Or will Ukraine fatigue set in? I think it's abundantly clear that they are going to fight this proxy war down to the last Ukrainian. Uh, they've all but said it. In some cases, they have actually said it. In Washington, I've, I've heard politicians talking about fighting to the last Ukrainian, how this is the best investment the United States uh, has ever made because they're able to fight their one of their chief adversaries, Russia, without having to shed any American blood. They're doing it entirely at the cost of Ukraine. Russia knows this. Russia knows that if the conflict ends and there's still a Ukraine left, it is going to join NATO. So this is an incentive for Russia to continue the conflict for as long as possible, or at the very least, leave nothing left to join NATO when the conflict is over. So this is another corner that NATO has painted themselves into, not unlike uh, the corner they painted themselves into in Afghanistan for 20 years. And Mr. Worley, how are you looking at this, you were saying? Well, you've got to see it from NATO point of view. I would personally clearly disagree with what was said when it is, it is certainly a kind of proxy war, but always have in mind that this war was started by Russia not by NATO. I think it's important to set the facts all over again and again. Now, coming to NATO, what was the choice they had? Either they would integrate Ukraine, and you've got to remember that some countries were in favor of integrating Ukraine now or giving it a timetable, um, and or you keep Ukraine at bay, waiting for the end of the war and hoping that negotiation could come. It's true that in a way it's an incentive for Russia to tell Ukraine you will be in NATO only when war is over, but it does not mean that negotiation cannot take place. So I believe NATO hope, with the help of some member countries like Turkey, is that while Ukraine will not be in NATO, it will still possible at some point to open a negotiation, especially if the present counter-offensive by Ukrainian forces might or be successful. Hmm. And I do want to take some time to talk about NATO's relationship with Asia-Pacific. Four Asia-Pacific leaders this time were present at the recent NATO summit. Um, Einar, what signals did this send with regard to the security situation in Asia? 
Well, quite frankly, I mean, it, it backs up this idea that, uh, you know, NATO is interested in proxy wars. Uh, why is it going into the Asia-Pacific? This has nothing to do with NATO. The real question is, why is NATO still around? I mean, and this idea that, yes, uh, there are a lot of people, and I know uh, many ambassadors who say this was all started by Russia. But the fact is, going into Ukraine, and not just last year, but uh, in the last nine years, uh, when they, uh, the U.S. Uh, basically backed a putsch uh, against a, a duly elected leader, this started off, a, a triggered a series of events. This idea that it was started purely by Russia is nonsense. You can keep repeating it. But we all know from Kissinger to Kiernan in the United States, um, prominent experts in international relations have always said, if you go into uh, Ukraine, Russia will fight. They will fight back. So this idea that, oh, we had no idea that this was going to happen, it's like putting your hand on a hot stove and claiming you're surprised you got burnt. And Mr. Worley, South Korea has designated its embassy in Belgium as the country's mission to NATO. NATO was mulling a liaison office in Tokyo as well. But French President Emmanuel Macron was opposed to that idea. And as Japan and South Korea want to keep a close relationship with NATO, there's been a lukewarm response to more involvement in the Asia-Pacific security. What's at stake here? Will NATO's eastward march become a reality? Questions about the expansion of NATO to the Asia-Pacific are legitimate. It is true that the alliance, it is a military alliance bringing together 31 member countries at the moment and very soon 32 when Sweden will be able to join. This military alliance was designed, organized to protect the European continent and the Atlantic region. So yes, we could argue, you could argue, that it does not make sense to go to the Pacific and it did not make sense earlier to go to the Middle East or the Near East with the fight in Afghanistan. Now, we all know here in Vilnius that the United States is the boss of NATO and it is in, in the interest of the United States now to mobilize its European allies towards the Asia Pacific and it's also a request from countries like Japan or South Korea, where you have a lot of American forces involved. So there is a division within the allies. I wrote myself a story this morning on it. Um, it is not a subject that is going to go smoothly if NATO proceed with some more presence in the Asia Pacific. At the moment, we're only talking, we were only talking, sorry, before the summit about a liaison office in Tokyo, and that was cancelled, especially at the request of France. So we would say that we're talking about diplomatic links mm. at the moment. It is not a kind of military expansion that would really trigger a, a debate, a strategic debate, and I do not see it coming at the moment. Einer, I see you're shaking your head. Well, I, I don't understand. Uh, you're, you're making diplomatic forays. Uh, uh, both the countries you're talking about have been talking about military uh, alliances. There uh, already, you have Japan that's involved in the Quad and things like this. Uh, AUKUS, all of these, you know, military alliances aimed directly at China, and now NATO is. So this idea that oh, pay no attention. There's dissension. You don't need to worry about it. You, you're, you know, you, you, he just said. Well, those are not questions. the words I use. Yeah, but there's those no are not the words I used. I did not say pay no attention. And well, I you're trying not, to downplay I it. You're trying only, to say I that this is I a divided issue. And that is not, I that is not about, the way. It's like NATO is a North Atlantic. Me. It shouldn't be in I, Asia. And you know that, and you admitted that. That's what I said. Yes, and but then I saying that you shouldn't be NATO, worried about I it is nonsense. I did not talk about AUKUS. Hmm.
I did not talk about I didn't AUKUS. say I did you did. I'm saying that the U.S. Alliance. is mobilizing both all of those uh, entities and in an effort to pressure China. And you can't deny that. And in a joint statement, let's look at this, gentlemen. NATO has accused Beijing of building up its military power and undercutting the rules-based international order. And China's foreign ministry gave a stern response, suggesting the bloc is a grave challenge to global peace and stability. Let's hear what the Chinese said, has said. Take a listen. Many NATO countries do not support the Asia-Pacific version of NATO, and the Asia-Pacific region does not need an Asia-Pacific version of NATO. We urge NATO to immediately stop distorting, discrediting and fabricating lies against China, abandon the Cold War mentality and the outdated concept of zero-sum gain, abandon the belief in military force and seeking absolute security, relinquish the dangerous practice of destabilizing Europe and the Asia-Pacific, stop seeking excuses for further expansion and play a constructive role in world peace and stability. Mr. Worley, don't you see NATO's accusations as a warning? Or do you see it as a provocation or no? What's in it for the United States? Well, the reaction from the Chinese foreign ministry is absolutely understandable. When you, when you see things on the point of view of China, you feel accused, you feel being pointed upon by the strongest military alliance in the world. That is very true. Now, coming back on NATO point of view, you've got the U.S. strategic interest that the allies have been following, and that has been the case for many years, and it is a point of contention and division. My personal guess is that if it would go further than a, a liaison office or diplomatic links with Asia Pacific, that would trigger serious division. A lot of uh, NATO member countries do not want to repeat what happened in Afghanistan, where NATO had boots on the ground and it completely failed. So we are not yet there, I repeat. Uh, you may do the comparison with AUKUS, with other alliance. I'm talking only about NATO. You may discuss the communique of NATO. You may consider it's inappropriate, but we're not talking yet about a military presence of NATO in the Asia-Pacific. Mr. Boletic, how should Beijing respond to the accusations? How should Beijing take it? I, I think Beijing's response is correct. They see this as a threat. It most certainly is a threat. NATO is the most disruptive uh, military alliance on Earth. It has cut a swath of death and destruction from Eastern Europe to Central Asia. It is right now engaged in a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. And uh, just as your other guests said, the U.S. is the boss of NATO. And what is U.S. interests? Global hegemony. They see China's very existence as an obstacle to that. The fact that they cannot subordinate China becomes a so-called uh, challenge to their interests. And it's very clear what the United States is doing, just as it used NATO to encircle and contain Russia and now seeks to mobilize the alliance to do likewise with China. And China has every right uh, under international law to see that as a provocation and react appropriately. And Einar, having heard the accusations from NATO, keep in mind that the United States has announced prior to the summit that is a complying with the Ukrainian request to supply it with controversial cluster bombs. Now, who is undercutting the rule-based international order? Well, values. 
cluster bombs, as I said earlier, are the number one cause of civilian deaths in uh, places that they've been used. Uh, they're outlawed by over 120 countries. The idea that, uh, you know, various talk shows, we had somebody from the State Department saying, this will blow over by Monday. No one really cares about, uh, you know, the use of cluster bombs and things like that. Well, apparently people do. So it's very hard, you know, it's uh, for the U.S. to keep insisting that it's, uh, you know, adhering to the international order, acting on values, when it is using anything, and it can, uh, to lob at the uh, Russians in an effort to, uh, you know, in essence, weaken them. Uh, this idea that taking down another country will make you more secure hasn't worked for the U.S. And it's time to change, uh, you know, the strategies. You just, it doesn't work. And now, this will be the second round of NATO's enlargement towards Northern Europe this year. Uh, Mr. Worley, first Finland, now Sweden. How will the two countries alter NATO security architecture? Because this is a key concern of Russia, that the alliance is edging closer and closer to its borders. How do you expect Russia to react? Well, in a way, Mr. Putin has achieved uh, with this war in Ukraine what he certainly did not want to see, meaning a bigger presence of NATO on, the, on Russia's border. Uh, Finland and Sweden were both neutral country until the war in Ukraine. They decided to join last year in the Madrid summit. Finland was already accepted. Sweden had a veto from Turkey, which was lifted here in Vilnius. We've got to see now when the Turkish parliament will ratify Sweden entry. In terms of uh, strategy and defense, it carries a real weight because Sweden and Finland are closer to Russia. Finland has a long border with Russia. And as you said earlier, NATO just approved a military plan to have got more forces combat ready deployed alongside those borders. So now on the northern side, on the northern flank of NATO, the fact that Sweden and Finland are in change things. It is a, a game changing factor. And it's probably another worry for Russia and Belarus because both countries are bordering this northern flank of NATO. And NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg said the member countries should view the target of allocating 2% of their GDP towards annual defense spending as minimum threshold rather than maximum limit. Mr. Beledek, will more defense spending bring peace to Europe? Can Europe afford it? Will be another bitter pill to swallow for most EU countries? No, and... NATO has actually been the largest threat to Europe, its peace, its stability, and its prosperity. There, this participation in this proxy war with Russia and Ukraine has decimated Europe's economy in terms of military uh, preparedness. They're emptying their stockpiles, transferring it over to Ukraine, it's disappearing on the battlefield. They'll build this army of 300,000 NATO troops, but what are they going to use for artillery? They're out of artillery. This is why they're sending these cluster munitions as a replacement for conventional artillery rounds. So NATO is making Europe weaker. It's making it less secure. These two new members, Finland and Sweden, were never really neutral. Nobody believes that. And now, because they're part of NATO, they're going to be dragged into whatever a war of aggression NATO thinks of next. All right, that's all the time we have for now, gentlemen. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives and insights and analysis. We do appreciate different perspectives and we do appreciate constructive discussion. Thank you. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Hub. I'm Li Tuan in Beijing. Bye for now.